0: Tonight's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter 1 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. So, for starters, let me just ask you a question. Um, Kind of take stock of where you are. How's your hope tonight? Um, Just kind of check in uh, with yourself. How's your hope? And by that I I mean um, a sense that everything will be okay. A sense that um, we're in this together. God is leading us, he's not going to let us go, that no matter how hard or bad or tragic anything in life gets, ultimately, he's not going to drop us, and he's going to lead us from grace to grace, and that as crazy as the world gets, we're never alone, there's a meaning in all of it, and he's with us. That's what I mean by hope. So how how is your hope? I think one of the reasons I've been thinking about this, one is Peter talks about it a lot. It also seems very connected to a lot of other emotions. Um, When we struggle with depression or we struggle with anxiety, a lot of times uh, that's related to our hope, to how hopeful that we are. Christians are people of hope, Peter starts off saying that we've been born again to a living hope, but then 10 verses later, he challenges us to have hope or to strengthen our hope in the verse that we're looking at tonight. And so I think that tells us something. It's possible for hope to dwindle. It's possible for hope to fade. It's possible to lose our hope. And so tonight I just wanted to take a little bit of time and look at this text and talk about how to feed our hope, how to nourish it, how to draw it, make it stronger. And in this little uh, verse that's packed full, there's three different ways that we can feed our hope. First of all, is by cultivating a healthy thought life. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter's Greek is kind of complicated. When you look at this text in the Greek, the primary verb is set your hope. It means, it's just, Elpida, it's just hope. Be hopeful. Choose to hope. And then the two phrases before are participles that modify how you are to be more hopeful. And the first phrase Prepare your minds for action is, is a, a term from a warfare, and it literally means lift up your robes so that you can fight. And in the ancient uh, culture, men, of course, wore, wore robes, and when you prepare for battle, you would, they'd call it girding them, you'd put a, a belt on so that you could run to battle. So it's kind of a strange metaphor for your mind, But he's essentially saying, be ready, be ready uh, for a battle for your mind. That's one of the ways that you can nourish hope is to to be aggressive mentally in the battle for your mind. Now, we saw uh, Wonder Woman last night. Uh, Princess Diana, queen of the Amazons, daughter of Zeus, is sent into the world to kill Ares, the god of war. Her partner, the blue-eyed Stephen Trevor, is amused by her naivete and goes about killing people the practical way. But as we watched, I thought, you know, there's an echo of a biblical principle here. Because she keeps trying to explain, look, you think you're just fighting flesh and blood, but there is this spiritual power that is behind all of this that's actually causing this war. Of course, he laughs all that off. And then there's this fascinating moment later on when uh, the the god, Ares, in in the person of a man, he says, you know, I don't actually do anything evil. I just put thoughts into the people's minds, and they do the evil. I thought, well, that sounds kind of like my book here. (laughs) It sounds kind of like how it works in my life, and uh, things like that. So there's a battle going on for our minds. Peter will talk about this later on in uh, chapter 4 or 5, and he'll say that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Eat for lunch. Um, How does he do that? Hauntings, exorcisms. Helter-skelter, blood flying, heads twisting, turning around, only in Hollywood. The way that he does it is through your minds. By messing with our thought life. That's why Paul will say, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Our minds is where we lose the battle for hope. As we saw a few weeks ago, there's this wonderful, hopeful summary of the gospel in verse 3 that's just so beautiful. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the biblical hope. That's what we put our hope. And it's Father's Day. and Somebody reminded me earlier, it's a great time to remember this is Father's Day. It's a celebration that our Father is merciful, that he's on the throne, that he cares for us, that he has sent his Son into the world to defeat sin, to rise again from the dead, to prove that we can too, to release his Spirit into the world, to come into our lives, to commune with us on a moment-by-moment basis, to be in heaven sovereignly assuring that we will ultimately finish the race. That's the hope of the gospel. When bad things happen and we lose our focus on those beautiful truths, we lose hope. You might take a little time this week and write down what what are your top hope killers? What are the lies that you believe that kill your hope? I just came up with some. I won't tell you which ones are mine, but I came up with some This situation will never change. My best years are behind me. There is nothing I can do. Nobody cares. Nothing matters anyway. I will always be alone. Nobody understands me. I'm too far gone. Evil is winning. I've blown it too many times. I am a fraud. If people knew me, they would reject me. I am stuck. I am trapped. There is no way out. There are not enough resources to solve this problem. What's your big hope-killing lie? I think one of the reasons why we hear these things so much and why it's so easy to become afraid and to take our minds off the gospel truth We really have moved into a culture of fear. I read about a book this week called The Witness of Religion in an Age of Fear. The author quotes Martin Luther King. Normal fear protects us. Abnormal fear paralyzes us. And his point is is that we have moved into a time in our culture of abnormal fear, where the culture is like in a collective panic attack about everything. And part of that is because leaders, left, right, center, you name them, have all figured out that one of the ways to mobilize the masses and donations is fear. Now, this is, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this uh, little illustration, but um, we got this in the mail at church. (laughs) I love this. Um, Pastors, check writers, church boards, and trustees, just because your heart is right with God doesn't mean your books are right with the IRS. (laughs) And there's a pastor being (laughs) handcuffed. (laughs) And then there's one going into jail. And, um, now that doesn't bother me because Jill would go to jail, so I don't worry about it <laughs> that that much. Um, but that's not a joke. Someone actually sent that to our church, um, and you know the same thing. Your mailboxes or email boxes are full of that too. We are just overcome with fear. It's a culture based on fear. Well, I think that's one one reason why Christian fellowship and worship are so important. It's because we live in a world, in a story that is increasingly hopeless, and you have to find time. I know, different ways, different times. You've got to find time to be with the people of God, to sing the songs of God, to pray the prayers of God, to read the liturgy of God, to read the scripture of God, or you'll lose hope. So that's the first way to feed your hope a good thought, biblical thought life. Second way we can feed our hope is to recover from our addictions. Now, you know, where is that in the text? Actually, you'd be surprised. Peter says, set our hope fully on Jesus by being sober-minded. And it's interesting. I worked through a lot of commentaries on this text this week, and they quickly go to the, what that metaphor might mean of being under the influence of something else. That's all probably true, but literally, it means don't get drunk. One of the reasons, or one of the ways to nourish hope, Peter says, is don't be under the influence of a, of a substance. This was a huge problem in the ancient world. There were a lot of uh, people with substance abuse issues. They didn't call it that. in early churches. And it steals hope. Uh, one of the ways human beings, have always dealt with hopelessness and anxiety and depression is through dulling their pain with beer, wine, drug, sex, you name it. So if we if we were translating this quite literally, it would be set your hope fully in Jesus by being sober. Um. So you have too many beers after work. So you can't stop looking at pornography. So you go online and buy things when you feel stressed. So you're overcome with panic when you can't get your run in. So you binge watch too many TV shows. So you work 70 hours a week. So you obsessively monitor a friend's Instagram posts. So you gamble money you don't have on fantasy football. And you know it's a problem because you want to stop and you cannot stop and you hide it from others and it gets in the way of other things you want to do. Today we call that an addiction. And one of the root causes of addiction is hopelessness. We are afraid, we're unsettled, we're anxious, we're unsure, so we medicate to cope. I've been reading some recovery literature out there especially from a Christian perspective and one of the things that strikes me in all the recovery literature is that hope is at the core of it it's a recovery of hope leads to a recovery of healing and and by the way i understand that i've often said we all we are all addicts we are all dependent on things we shouldn't be. We all are idolaters in the heart. And I understand that. But increasingly, I'm not using that language anymore because I think it, it also can get you confused about what a real addiction is. Um, and I, here's a, just a standard definition. Addiction is a condition that results when a person ingests a substance, alcohol, cocaine, nicotine, or engages in an activity, gambling, sex, shopping, that can be pleasurable, but the continuation of which becomes compulsive and interferes with ordinary responsibilities and concerns, such as work, relationships, or health. People who have developed an addiction may not be aware that their behavior is out of control and causing problems for themselves and others. And Peter wouldn't have used the language of addiction, but this was a huge problem. Chapter 4, verse 3 says, The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So there were a lot of addicts in the early church. And and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this tonight. I'm just trying to be real practical. One of the ways that you recover hope is dealing with your addiction if you're addicted. And there are a lot more folks struggling with addiction in the church than we would realize, because it's not always a safe place to talk about. Now, I understand that the normal means of grace are very powerful. Prayer, fasting, scripture, fellowship, accountability, those things. But you almost always need an intensive encounter with someone else or several someone else's to get over an addiction. That's how you work towards hope. one of my prayers tonight, you know, I was playing with this text, and originally I was just going to kind of go more broadly about it, but I just had this sense of, you know, if, if you're here and, and there's an addiction in your life that you're hiding, remember the definition. I'm not just talking about you run too much or I work too much. I'm talking about this is something that is destroying you, and you can't stop it. That's what we mean by addiction. Uh, if, if, you've, if you've got that going on, please talk to someone. You're close to, talk to me, talk to a close friend. It's one of the ways that we move towards hope. Well, the last way that we can feed our hope is by, just sounds kind of obvious, but focusing on Jesus. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I found myself asking a question uh, this week as I was preparing, and the question went something like this. How has my hope changed over the last 30 years? How how, how do I think differently about hope now than I did 30 years ago? And uh, looking back, I think 30 years ago, hope for me was that I hoped that God would do something with my life. I hoped that he would accomplish certain things for the kingdom, that he would do certain things through my children. And I think I was very much motivated by the hope that my life would matter, that I would make an impact for the kingdom. And 30 years later, I think I would say, that's really not the biblical hope. That's a maybe a calling, a, a vision, a desire, a prayer request. Those are all good things, a goal. But that, that's not hope. Because your hope can't be something you don't control, right? You may or may not fulfill your dreams. You may or may not fulfill your calling. You, you can't control that. That can't be your hope. The only thing... That we can really hope in is Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. And I love the way Peter describes uh, the grace that is to be revealed. It's just a beautiful picture of Jesus. Somebody told me this week they saw a bumper sticker that said, Jesus, an Instagram of what God looks like. <laughs> I like that. He's what God looks like. And hope comes from a revelation of him, of that grace. And I I think ultimately that means when we go to heaven, when we die. But I also think now, it means now, when we experience his grace, touch his grace, we're held by his grace, That's where hope is nourished. One of the commentaries I read this week said this about our text. Such hope should be characterized by a finality that leaves no room for doubt and uncertainty. And I wrote in the margin, totally disagree. I don't think growing in hope means necessarily growing in certainty. I really mean, I used to. I used to think the more Bible I know, the more certain I'll be. I don't, I don't think it works that way. I don't think growing in hope means never having doubt. Matter of fact, I think hope is that when you are uncertain and you doubt, you trust because you've tasted grace. I think that is biblical hope. So I want to disabuse any of you that, that feel like you're a bad Christian or that you're faithless because you have doubt. Or you're uncertain, hope is Jesus, even when you do doubt. That's what true hope is. Now, just one more thought before we kind of move to a close. Uh, uh, Judy Pate sent me a TED talk about addiction. Very interesting, and it was called uh, Everything You Thought You Knew About Addiction Was Wrong. It's always an interesting. Uh, the title of anything, and uh, I don't know, I don't know scholar of addiction, but essentially the speaker's point, he'd gone all around the world looking at uh, research about how people overcome addiction, and he said that the current research is, is, is something like, like this, that they're finding out that the people that overcome addiction the best have strong connections with God and others. And that it's not just, Well, he was actually talking more about our legal policies, like actually the worst thing you could ever do for an addict is to shut him up in a jail cell for 20 years. <laughs> because what a human being needs is bonding, is connection with God and with others. And that was the whole point of his talk. And so this idea of hoping in the face revealed to Jesus Christ, I think that really is how we heal is when we bond experientially with Jesus. And, you know, that just makes me think of what happened in church last week. Um, I wasn't here. We were coming home from vacation. And uh, I know Daryl preached a powerful sermon. I was you know, we can find that. That's on tape. They don't call it tape anymore, do they? Uh, Whatever you call it. It's on somewhere. It's in the cloud or something. (laughs) And I love Daryl so much because he's so filled with Hope. His sermons are filled with hope. His text messages are filled with hope. And his church is filled with hope. I, I just can't go away without experiencing hope. And, you know, when I got home on uh, a couple people a Monday morning said, did you hear what happened last night? And, you know, when you come home from vacation, one of the things you normally don't want to hear as a pastor is, <laughs> did you hear what happened last night? <laughs> yeah. And I just talked about it to people, and they said, you know, at the end of the service... We were talking about the person of the spirit, and uh, Daryl said, "Be quiet for a moment and invite the spirit any way you want to." and then you did. A number of you did. A number of you didn't. And the beautiful thing that I that I heard is, is you experienced it different ways. Some people it was very, very powerful. Some of you said, "You know I was kind of uncomfortable with that, but even those of you that were uncomfortable with it said, "But I trust my family." This is a safe place in the Spirit. I trust Daryl. I trusted the Eucharist, and it was it was good. It was good. And as I thought about that, again, I wasn't here, so I don't know exactly what happened, but you know, people talked about feeling the Spirit in an intense way. I think one of the reasons the Spirit of God pours himself out onto the people of God is so that we can experience the grace that will be revealed at the last day so that our hope will be increased. One of the reasons we come together for worship is because there's something that can happen with other people that can't just happen by myself. And a collective experience of those over years nourishes our hope. I'll end with this, had a great time on vacation, got to read a little bit, and surprise, surprise, right? Um, One of the books that I read was one of the most beautifully written books about faith I've ever read in my life, and it was about a pastor who left the ministry and uh, found a new calling, the book's called Leaving Church. And she found a very new shape to her faith, And, and really it was one of the most elegant descriptions of pastoral ministry that I've ever read was very tender, very warm. And towards the end of the book, she described how her faith has changed since she left the pastorate and didn't have to kind of uphold doctrine anymore. And she has this last chapter where she talks about uh, meeting God powerfully in nature and uh, learning from the wisdom of other traditions and about how she doesn't have to go to church anymore because she can meet God on her deck and in um, the beauty of the forest, and I and I found myself turning the pages, waiting for one more page about Jesus, and it never came. And I I ended the book very moved. It was so beautiful, and, and I probably don't understand where she is spiritually at all. But I, I felt sad because, sure. You can meet God in your deck in the breeze. And sure, you can learn from other traditions, and that's good. But for a Christian, hope is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.